Welcome to the Cheyenne Vineyard Podcast, bringing you a message of hope for your everyday world. If you'd like to contact us, contact us at info at CheyenneVineyard.com. You can also find out more information about the Cheyenne Vineyard Church at CheyenneVineyard.com. Thank you and enjoy today's podcast. Well, good morning. Praise God. Worship is good. Amen. Amen. A couple little things this morning before we get started. Um, <clears throat> I spent some time last night getting a flash drive ready to show you the scriptures I'm going to teach from, and then we got here and found out there's a technical problem, so you won't see any today. I apologize for that. That was uh, a mistake on our part. Um, we needed to get it in the right format, and we failed to do that. So, <clears throat> um, If you guys get the emails from Jay, his updates um, that he sends out every week, he's also sending out notes from the messages. <clears throat> so my notes from last week will be on your email if you get them. If you don't get our emails, there are these connect cards at the entrance. And you can fill one out, and we would uh, be happy to add you to our list if you're not getting our emails. Then you can get the outlines of the messages as well that way. Are we dismissing children or yes? Okay. All right. Then children can go and be blessed. Hallelujah. Jesus said, let the little children come to me. For such is the kingdom of heaven. Not meaning to offend anybody, but one quick thing about children. <clears throat> if you think about a pencil, a long pencil is sometimes better than a short pencil, right? Because there's more lead. It's going to last longer. So the children are the ones where we really need to invest our time and energy because they're going to be around longer than we are. Okay? <clears throat> All right. Glory. I do want to pray this morning and just ask the Lord for his help. And I ask you to pray for me, because if you want more than what I'm going to give you, you better ask God for it. Amen. Um, there's only so much that I can do, but God can tell you things and speak things to you that I never said, if you'll just listen to him. So Father, we come to you this morning. We ask that you would speak to us by your spirit. We want to hear you. We want to see the truth of your word. We want to be established, as we just sang, like a tree planted by the rivers of living water. And we didn't want to draw from that nourishment that's in you. So Father, I ask this morning for your anointing. I ask for your enabling to communicate clearly, to think clearly, and to speak in a way that people can understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, I started a series that I'm calling God's Kingdom Economy. 
Uh, in Jay's update this week, he shared this nugget with us. He wrote, in God's economy, the rules of the world don't apply. There is no lack, there is no scarcity of resources, there are no limits. We can operate in our finances according to the ways of the world, but then we are constrained or limited by the rules, or by its rules. If we operate by God's ways, we can enter into the financial realm of his kingdom. So, living in the kingdom is a totally different experience. And I was talking to a friend at work this week about the difference between the religious system and the kingdom of God. They look very, very similar. People can do the same things, and outwardly it looks the same. But one is based on our attempts to follow God, and the other is in relationship with the Lord Jesus. We want to live in the kingdom. We want to have the kingdom power of God in our lives, flowing into us and through us. That's the kingdom that we're talking about. Now, last week, I called the message Living in the Abundance of God's Kingdom. And I showed you the promise of Jesus in Matthew 6, 25 to 34, where he said that if we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, he will give us all that we need in the area of food, drink, clothing. God will meet our needs. Now, the major point of that passage, in fact, it says it three times in those few verses, is the, the phrase, do not worry. Do not worry. See, we have no need to fear that our needs will not be met, regardless of the circumstances we find ourselves in. I was thinking this morning as we were singing that, I think it was the last song, about the coming shaking, the coming storm, and the coming blessing, that's a prophetic statement. If you read the book of Revelation, there are some storms coming, okay? But in the midst of those storms, we have no need to fear. Our God is still El Shaddai, the God of plenty, the God of more than enough. He's still Jehovah Jireh, the Lord our provider. He will take care of his children. Now today I want to talk to you about God's purpose for prosperity. Before I do, let me give you these synonyms for the word prosperity or to prosper. This is according to Webster's New World Thesaurus, where it says that to prosper can also mean to become rich, to become wealthy, to be enriched, to thrive, to turn out well, to fare well, to be well, to flourish, to increase, to bloom, to blossom, or to advance. That sounds like good stuff, doesn't it? Don't you want that in your life? Well, throughout the Bible, the Lord tells his people that he wants to prosper them. So we're going to look at a few scriptures this morning. <clears throat> In Deuteronomy chapter 30, 
verse 9, says, The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb and in the fruit of your cattle and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your fathers. Psalm 35, 27. Let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure or who delights in the prosperity of his servant. God delights to prosper us. 1 Timothy 6, 17. Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. We talked about that last week. But listen to the last phrase. Who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Gives us richly all things to enjoy. I don't know about you, but part of my life, I've been uncomfortable with enjoying nice things. Can anybody identify with that? Maybe not. <laughs> but for me, you know, like I said last week, my dad did the best he could with what he had. And he did love us, but his resources were limited. Now, my Heavenly Father's resources aren't, thank God. But I've been reluctant to just enjoy the goodness of God. He's generous, he's lavish, he's extravagant. Bill Johnson says this about him. You know, he's not running an orphanage where he's going to promise you a cot and three hots. You know, three meals a day, and that's it. You know, you got a roof over your head, you got a bed, and you got something to eat. Man. Just be good with that. <laughs> no. God is a loving Father, a generous Father, who wants to pour out on us His blessing. Philippians four nineteen says, "And my God shall supply all your need." according to his riches in glory by Christ Jesus. So there it is. God's desire is to prosper us. Now, when we start talking about prosperity, some people become nervous because there is a lot of bad teaching in the church today, especially in America, about the subject of prosperity. We're only going to talk about part of it this morning, but some say that true spirituality demands that we live in poverty. That's a lie. If you read Deuteronomy chapter 28, you'll see that the curses that come on those who do not obey the voice of the Lord include poverty. But Galatians 3, 13 and 14 tell us that Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. The that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. See, Jesus took our sin upon himself. He broke the power of the curses so that we could be forgiven. But the redemption of Jesus includes finances as well as forgiveness of sin and our healing, our physical healing. Bill Johnson says it this way, it is no more the will of God for you to live in poverty 
than it is for you to live unforgiven of God. Does God want you to live in a condition of not being forgiven by him? I don't think so. Why did he send Jesus to the cross? Why did Jesus die if we're supposed to have a, an alienation from God? And we're not. So Jesus has redeemed us, rather, from the curse of poverty. Now, on the other hand, some people think that it's more spiritual to be wealthy, or that those who are wealthy, maybe you should say it this way, those who are wealthy are more spiritual than those who are not. That's also wrong. The truth is that neither poverty or wealth is a measure of a person's spirituality. You can see that clearly in Revelation chapter 2, where Jesus talks to the church at Smyrna. He says, I know your works, your tribulation, your poverty, but you are rich. See, he was looking not at their material wealth, but at their spiritual wealth. And he said, you are rich. So you can be financially poor and spiritually rich. On the other hand, he spoke to the church in Laodicea in the next chapter when he said, because you say I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. So here's a wealthy church financially, but Jesus says to them, you're poor. You're destitute spiritually. So our finances don't necessarily indicate where we're at in our relationship with God. Now, the scriptures that we read just a few minutes ago about God's desire to prosper us, I'd like to go back and take a closer look at because <clears throat> I believe that as we do, we're going to see that those verses... Give us conditions of prosperity. There are certain things that God wants of us or from us. Let, let's just start. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 9. You have to read the next verse to get the context. The Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand, in the fruit of your womb, and in the fruit of your cattle, and in the fruit of your ground. For the Lord will again take delight in prospering you as he took delight in your, prosper, in your father's. Verse 10, when you obey the voice of the Lord your God to keep his commandments and his statutes that are written in this book of the law, and when you turn to the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. Those two words, or the one word when repeated twice, when you obey. See, when does prosperity come? When you obey. And when you turn to the Lord with all your heart and with all your soul. So the question that we should ask ourselves is, are we submitting to the king and obeying him? And are we wholeheartedly committed to the Lord? If we are, God will prosper us. In Second Chronicles rather, 26.5, it says about King Uzziah, he sought God in the days of Zechariah who had understanding in the visions of God and as long as he sought the Lord, God made him prosper. OK? 
Okay? So the question, are we seeking the Lord? Now the Bible says, seek the Lord in his strength, seek his face continually. So it's to be a continual pursuit. Psalm 35, 27, we read a few minutes ago, it says, let the Lord be magnified who has pleasure or who delights in the prosperity of his servant. You catch that? Of his servant. Does he want to just prosper anybody and everybody indiscriminately? No. He wants to prosper those who serve him. So, the question, are you his servant? Last week we looked at Matthew 6.33, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Pretty clear to me, in seeking his kingdom, it, that seeking his kingdom and his righteousness is to be our top priority. So again, that's the question. Is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness your top priority? If it is, all these things will be added to you. First Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Again, we talked about this verse last week. Um, but listen to this. It says, Command those who are rich in this present age not to be haughty, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, the part of the, ref the verse that's relevant here is, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God. So, again, am I trusting in the living God? Because I know he's faithful, I know he's reliable, I know he will take care of me. Or am I trusting in uncertain riches? Now, does this all make sense to you? Do you see that those are conditions of prosperity? I told Jay this week, I really want to teach the word accurately. I do not want to teach anything that's incorrect. So particularly Art, Randy, anybody else that has a conflict with what I'm saying, a problem, Jay, if you have a problem with what I'm saying, let's talk about it. Now, before the whole body goes home here and under the wrong teaching, okay? So I, I want to make sure that what we're giving you today is the truth of God's word, Okay? Nobody's jumping up, so I guess we must be on the right page, huh? Well, let's turn our attention to the fourth chapter of Philippians. There are several verses here that Paul is writing about <clears throat> the subject of actually giving. He says in verse 15, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you only. For even, excuse me, when I was in Thessalonica, you sent me aid more than once when I was in need. Now listen to verse 17. Not that I desire your gifts. What I desire is that more 
be credited to your account. What account? Wait a minute. You're going to write a check, and you're going to have more in your account. Wait a minute. The math doesn't work here. What's he saying? What account is he talking about? It's your heavenly bank account. <clears throat> when you give, <clears throat> it's deposited, in a sense, in your heavenly bank account. God rewards you eternally for what you do with your money. And what Paul is saying is, I, desi I don't desire your gifts. What I desire is that more may be credited to your account. I want you to be blessed eternally. That's what Paul is saying here. Verse 18, I have received full payment and I have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God, this is probably one many of you can quote, verse 19 of Philippians 4, and my God will meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. As I was thinking about that, the context of verse 19 that we often quote about God providing for our needs is what? Giving. Yeah? So, does that imply that our needs will be met in proportion to our giving? Think about it. Let me put it this way. Those who don't love God, have no interest in his kingdom, have not submitted to his lordship, do not want to follow him, don't receive any of God's provision. They have to just go work for it without the blessing of God, without the prosperity of God coming upon them. If somebody's with you, really united in purpose with you, aren't you more willing to give them what they need? And I believe God is the same way in this sense. Now, there's a difference between provision and prosperity. Provision meets your needs. Prosperity gives you more than you need. Provision comes from a loving father. You know, when your babies are six months old, there's not much they can do for you, except maybe kind of give you that little smile that you almost don't even recognize as a smile at first. They can't do anything for you, but are you going to provide for them? Well, of course you are. You're their mom or dad. Of course you're going to provide for them. God's going to take care of his children. Prosperity goes beyond provision in that it gives you more than you need. Let me do it this way. Back up to Deuteronomy 30, verse 9. 
And it says, the Lord your God will make you abundantly prosperous in all the work of your hand. In other words, God prospers us by blessing our work. Take a mechanic, for example. Sometimes things just don't go very well. That bolt just won't come loose. Man, there's nothing I can do to get this thing loose. And you spend how much time on this thing? And then it breaks. And you're saying, Lord, <laughs> this just isn't going very well. Okay, now that's not blessing. Amen? That's not prosperity. The blessing and the prosperity come when the bolt comes out easily. And you get done in half the time that it should have taken you. But you still get paid the same. You see what I'm saying? So God blesses the work of our hands. Now, why would it be true that God would give us more according to the level of our giving? Here's a thought. Our level of giving demonstrates our level of commitment to God's purposes. Are you with me? Take a political campaign, for example. If you really want this guy elected, you're going to give him some money. Because it takes money to run a campaign. It takes money to run, buy those signs and buy that airtime. So if you're really committed, you're going to give. If you're not, well, <laughs> you know, honestly, I don't very often give to political candidates. I'd rather give my money to the kingdom. But... Every once in a while, there's a godly man who's running for office, and then it's something I'm willing to consider. Now, don't think that you have to give large sums of money. I mentioned political campaigns. Believe me, if you give a candidate a thousand bucks, they're going to be very appreciative. They'll say, "Well, come to dinner. You know, come meet my friends. You know, come meet these." movers and shakers in the community, okay? But listen to what Jesus did, or what he said in Mark chapter 12. Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. See, it's not the amount of your gift that God looks at. Instead, he looks at the level of sacrifice and trust that that gift required of you. Does that make sense? The law of sowing and reaping is spelled out in at least three different verses here. In 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, 
Paul wrote, remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So the more seed you sow, the more plants are going to grow. Okay? Luke 6.38, Jesus himself said, give and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. These verses have been favorites of ours, Proverbs 11, 24, and 25, <clears throat> for a long time. It says in verse 24, One man gives freely, yet gains even more. Another withholds more than is right, but comes to poverty. Is there a warning there? If you withhold more than is right, it might bring you to poverty. Verse 25, a generous man will prosper. He who refreshes others will himself be refreshed. So generosity brings prosperity. Again, the math doesn't work, does it? I'm going to take money out of my bank account and give it away, but I'm going to prosper? We're talking about the kingdom of God here. We're not talking about world finances. We're talking about kingdom principle. The blessing of the Lord comes to those who seek God first and commit themselves to bringing his kingdom into their sphere of influence. Proverbs 10.22 This is rich. This is really a good verse. It says, the blessing of the Lord makes one rich. The blessing of the Lord makes one rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Have you ever known wealthy people who were miserable? They had lots of money. Cars, houses, boats, planes, whatever. They weren't happy. Proverbs 10.22 says, The blessing of the Lord makes one rich, and he adds no sorrow with it. Now, how does that work? Well, first of all, the Proverbs also teach that we're to seek wisdom rather than wealth. I'll just run through a few verses here quickly. In Proverbs chapter 8, 10 and 11, wisdom is speaking. In this whole chapter, the wisdom is personified and wisdom speaks and says, receive my instruction and not silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than rubies and all the things one may desire cannot be compared with her. Chapter 16, verse 16, how much better to get wisdom than gold? And to get understanding is to be chosen rather than silver. To get really brief and to the point, Proverbs 4, 5 says, get wisdom, get understanding. Clear enough? Get wisdom, get understanding.
Now, why is that? Because if we get wisdom, we will get wealth too. Again, the eighth chapter of Proverbs, speak, wisdom is speaking and says, with me, with wisdom, are riches and honor, enduring wealth and prosperity. My fruit is better than fine gold. What I yield surpasses choice silver. I walk in the way of righteousness along the paths of justice, bestowing wealth on those who love me and making their treasuries full. So wealth comes to those who seek wisdom. You know, the classic example of that would be Solomon. Remember how he asked the Lord, this job is overwhelming. Being the king of your people is, is more than I can handle. So God, I need your wisdom. I need your understanding. I need discernment to lead your people. And God responds to him, because you have asked this thing and have not asked long life for yourself, nor have asked riches for yourself, nor have asked the life of your enemies but have asked for yourself understanding to discern justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. See, I have given you a wise and understanding heart so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any like you arise after you. And I've also given you what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that there shall not be anyone like you among the kings all your days. You remember the Queen of Sheba coming and just being overwhelmed by the richness of what Solomon had acquired. She said, it, I'd heard stories, but it isn't even half of it. It doesn't even tell me half of what you really have and of half of your wisdom. She was more amazed at his wisdom than his wealth. So seek wisdom rather than wealth, and you will receive both. Seek wealth, and you will have neither. That's an important point. Let me say it one more time. Seek wisdom rather than wealth, and you will have both. Seek wealth, and you will not have wealth or wisdom. Unless you really want to violate God's principles. I won't even go there. <laughs> Some of the rich in the world, they got rich all right, but man, are they paying a price for it. When we give ourselves to accumulating wealth, we bring sorrow upon ourselves. First Timothy chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. But people who long to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many foolish and harmful desires that plunge them into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And some people craving money have wandered from the true faith and pierced themselves with many sorrows. Now this verse doesn't teach that money is evil. Okay. Money is not evil. It's a neutral resource. It can be used 
to promote good or evil. It's the love of money that Paul warned us about here. Why is that? The love of money corrupts character, causes greed, for example, which leads to dishonesty, fraud, theft, other crimes. What else might it do? If you pursue wealth and give yourself to that, generally speaking, you're gonna spend a lot of time doing it. And what's that gonna cost? You don't have the time that you should be giving to your spouse and your children that you should. Then what happens? Marriage goes bad, you get divorced, Kids don't have a father or a mother, depending on who you are, caring for them, providing leadership, and being the parent that God's called us to be. So what happens to the kid? They're brokenhearted. They don't develop the way God wants them to. Suicide sometimes happens. There are a lot of things that can happen because we get our priorities wrong. Now, Proverbs 23, verse 4 says, don't wear yourself out trying to get rich. Be wise enough to know when to quit. The New King James of that passage says, do not overwork to be rich. Do not overwork to be rich. Do not work over time. <laughs> To be rich? See, the, the question is not, do you work overtime or not? Overtime is not forbidden. Question is, are you working overtime to get rich? And violating the principles I just talked about regarding spending time with your wife and your, your, your husband and your kids. John D. Rockefeller once said, I have made many millions but they have brought me no happiness. <sighs> the wealth of Solomon we've talked about, but he wrote in Ecclesiastes 5.10, he who loves money will not be satisfied with money, nor he who loves wealth with his income. Money is not going to satisfy your soul. can also have, pursuing wealth can also have devastating consequences in our spiritual lives. Jesus taught in Mark 4.19 that the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches and desires for other things could choke the word and make us unfruitful. You see, God wants us to be fruitful people. Remember what Jay taught a couple weeks ago about Genesis 1.28? Part of God's instruction to Adam and Eve was be fruitful and multiply, and Jay taught us, being fruitful does not mean have kids. Multiply does. 
Okay? But being fruitful means that you are involved with your surroundings in such a way that you produce good things. You produce fruit. Okay? That's, that's as far as I want to go with that right now. Um, I want to go into a section that's a little uncomfortable, but <clears throat> something I think we need to talk about. James chapter 4, verses 2 and 3 say, You lust and do not have, you murder and covet and cannot obtain, you fight and quarrel, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Now remember, if you're a child of God and you ask your father for what you need, what did Jesus say? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So you ask, yet you do not have because you do not ask. Okay, then verse 3, though, says, you ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives so that you may spend it on your pleasures. I've thought about, I guess we don't have any 16-year-olds in the room, do we? Don't want to burst your bubble here, but you know when my kids were 16 and they wanted a car, they didn't get one. I didn't have the money to give them one, okay? But had I had the money, had I been wealthy enough to say, go pick out the car you want. What do I do when they bring home a vet or a Mustang? A wise parent's probably gonna say, uh, no, I don't think so. This may not be the best thing for you. You can get yourself or somebody else killed in this thing, <laughs> okay? You ask with wrong motives that you may spend it on your pleasures. In Luke 12, 15, Jesus warned us, take heed and beware of covetousness, for a man's life does not consist in the abundance of the things which he possesses. He who dies with more toys does not win, he dies. You're not going to take it with you. Our life is in relationship with Jesus. The things we possess don't give us life. In fact, a good question to ask ourselves is, do I possess my things or do my things possess me? See, the more I have, the more I have to take care of. I've thought about buying more guns, but then I got more of them to clean. <laughs> I've got more of them than I need to go shoot once in a while. You know what I'm saying? It's like whatever you own requires something of you if you're going to maintain it. In Mark 7, 21, 20, 20, 22, Jesus told us that covetousness comes from within out of the heart of man heart of men. 
So this is an internal issue, it's a heart issue. God is concerned about our hearts. As I've said several times already last week and this week, God doesn't really care about your money. (laughs) He wants your heart. But I believe if he's got your heart, he's gonna have your money too. Okay, Colossians 3.5, it's a long verse, but the point I wanna make from it is this. It says in the verse, covetousness is idolatry. What is idolatry? It's worshiping a false god. Some people worship money. In a week or two, I'm gonna talk about mammon. In case you're not here, I'll just mention now. Mammon is a spiritual entity that works to influence the financial realm of the nations. So it's an actual spirit. And when you worship money, when you worship mammon, you're worshiping a demon. So how should we respond when we see that something has become an idol to us? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 14 says, Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. 1 John 5, 21 says, Dear children, keep yourselves from idols. Sometimes the New Living brings it out a little better. It says, Dear children, keep away from anything that might take God's place in your hearts. So, the author of Hebrews, I tend to agree with Jay, I believe it might have been Paul. Anyway, the author said, let your conduct be without covetousness. What's the antidote to covetousness? Listen to these next two words. Be content with such things as you have. So is the antidote for covetousness contentment? I believe it is. Now he goes on to say in this verse, for he himself has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. I looked at that at first and I thought, well, now how's the first part of that verse related to the last part of that verse? I will never leave you or forsake you. So how's that related to, don't let your conduct be without, or let your conduct be without covenants and be content. How's that related? Then I realized If I have God and God is with me, I'm with God, and we go somewhere, he can pull out his wallet and pay for it. You know, when my kids are with me, I just recently went to the coffee shop with them and they hadn't bought their stuff yet. So I said, here, I got that. Okay? God has you covered. God will take care of you. If you're with him and he's promised he'll never leave us or forsake us, you got nothing to worry about. So there's no reason not to be contented with what you have because if you need something you don't have, ask and it'll be given to you. Now, one more passage of scripture, and this is really the the meat of what I want to say today. And I think we're way ahead of schedule. So you might be happy to know that we're not going to be here until one o'clock. 
Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 if you have your Bibles, since I don't have the words up for you. We looked at verse 6 a little bit ago. Um, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows generous, or how does it say that? I think I got the wrong part of the verse first. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6. Remember this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. So we've talked about that verse a little bit. We'll look at verses 7 through 11. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. Is that a pretty positive verse for you? <laughs> okay, verse 9. As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Now let's go back to verse 7. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. Bev and I were in a, well, we were at Resurrection Fellowship in Loveland, Colorado under John Stocker as our senior pastor. And John often used to say, <clears throat> sorry, just thinking about how good it was in that church for so many years. But John would often say, give as the Lord leads you to and all the needs will be met. He didn't get up and say, if you guys don't give, we're not going to be able to meet budget. If you guys don't give, we're going to have to close down this or close down that. He said, give as the Lord leads you to and all the needs will be met. And he said that whether they were thousands short of payroll <laughs> or whether they had so much money that they were trying to find a place to invest it in the kingdom. And it worked. Needs in that church were met. That church had a $1 million missions budget. John brought that church into a culture of generosity. When we had guest speakers come, the church would pay their expenses to get there and get back home, and all of their expenses while they were there, and then we would take a love offering. 
And in fact, guests were told, don't tell us how much you need. Let us collect the love offering for you. You're going to get a lot more that way than if you tell us that you need $5,000 or whatever for being here this week. So there was a culture of generosity that was created. The point here is never give in response to pressure or manipulation. If you're being manipulated, don't give. If somebody stands up here and says, well, if you give me a check for a thousand bucks, I'll prophesy for you. I don't want to hear what you better say. That's an ungodly spirit. You don't buy the things of God. So never give in response to pressure or manipulation. Just don't do it. We looked at verse 8. If there's anything you need, I think it's covered here. God is able to make all grace. Grace covers the entire of our the entirety of our lives. He's able to make all grace abound to you. So that in all things, having all, in all things at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. God is able to work in us and through us to do whatever he wants to do. There's no limit, as Jay was saying in his nugget from last week's email. There's no limit. Okay. In verse 9, I just want to point out, it says, As it is written, he has scattered abroad his gifts to the poor. His righteousness endures forever. Giving, well, I'm sorry, let me say back that up. Generosity flows out of righteousness. If you're righteous before God, a natural fruit of that, a natural outgrowth of that is that you will be generous. I'm going to talk about verse 10 next week. So I'm going to look at verse 11. You will be made rich. For some of us, and when I, I remember first reading that in that translation, that's the New International Version of the 1984 edition of the NIV. I first read that and I thought, wait a minute, what? You were made rich? Huh? See, in my mind at that time, Christians never were rich. I was operating in a poverty mindset. Christians weren't rich. But this says you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous. That's the reason. Remember, we're not to consume it upon our own lusts. 
but we can be generous on every occasion. Randy Alcorn puts it this way. He says, God prospers me not to raise my standard of living, but to raise my standard of giving. And again, keep in mind, the more you give, the more you have laid up for you as treasure in heaven. And that's what God really wants for you. I don't know if I've said it today or not, but I'm going to say it now. I'm not teaching this so the church will get more money. And believe me, I'm not going to get more money. I'm not taking an honorarium, and I'm not on staff. On staff. So whatever you give is not coming to me directly, okay? I'm not being asked to do this so that the church will have more finances. That's perhaps a result of it, but the real motive is for you guys to be blessed. We want you to have an abundance. See, I, I don't believe God wants us to live in debt. I believe God would like to see every person in this room own their own house free and clear. Drive a car that you've paid for. Have no credit card bills. None. No medical bills. No debt of any kind. Because God loves you and wants you to enjoy his provision. And as I've said, beyond that, he also wants you to lay up treasure in heaven so that you'll have an eternal reward. As Randy Elkhorn writes, God wants your heart. He isn't looking just for donors for his kingdom. Those who stand outside the cause and dispassionately consider acts of philanthropy. He's looking for disciples immersed in the causes they give to. He wants people so filled with a vision for eternity that they wouldn't dream of not investing their money, time, and prayers where they will matter most. That's what God wants. He wants our hearts to be given to him. And if our hearts are his, we're going to want to give to him. You know, I, I missed something in verse 7. Um, God loves a cheerful giver. That word cheerful, I look it up in Vine's Expository Dictionary. It's that readiness of mind, that joyousness, which is prompt to do anything. Okay? My paraphrase of that is joyfully eager. Vine's also says that that word or that phrase cheerful giver means hilarious. That's where that came from. I was kind of surprised when I saw that this morning. I thought that was another source. But hilarious. It's like there shouldn't be any reluctance or any discomfort when I walk up here and put something in this offering. It should be a joyful thing. It should, I should be hilarious, joyfully eager. Let me give you this picture. 
regardless of what you think of Valentine's Day, it's coming. And just as an illustration, if I love my wife, I am going to be joyfully eager to give her something that expresses the love in my heart. That's the way God wants us to approach giving. God, I love you. I love you so much that I want to give you this gift. And if you're listening to God, he might talk to you and say, that's too much. That's what my wife did when I offered to buy something for her for her birthday. She said, yeah, that's a little too much. God might do that to you. He might say, no, we're kind of getting into this segment in nine ten verse, but he might say, that's bread, that's not seed. So keep that. All right? So we're going to talk about 2 Corinthians 9 10 more next week. But to summarize, why does God desire to prosper us? I talked to you about two of these last week. First of all, to bring glory, honor, praise, and worship to him from the hearts of his grateful children who live in his abundance. Secondly, to create testimonies of his goodness and faithfulness to draw people to salvation and to greater levels of trust in him. And lastly, to finance the work of extending his kingdom throughout the earth. Bill Johnson says, um, we're called to disciple nations, but that's not possible without prosperity. If God were to tell me today, jump on a plane and go to Thailand, I would say, um, okay, when you give me the money, <laughs> it takes money to go. It takes money to support those who have gone. And let me just, this comes to mind, so I'm just going to throw it out. Karen left here um, two weeks ago, something like that to go to Africa to work with a missionary there that we support. Um, God might lay on your heart to do something for her. If so, talk to Jay or Randy and we'll see what we can do. Because it takes money. Now, I know this subject of money is not a real comfortable one. But if your heart is with God, I love to hear people talk about giving. I love it. I want to see God do in this town and in this state and throughout the world what he wants to do. But I know it takes money. So I'm glad to hear people talk about giving 
to encourage me, to build me up, to give me more faith. Because for myself, the issue's settled. I have no problem with it. If you don't have that attitude about it, then perhaps you need to go to the Lord and say, okay, is there something you want to talk to me about? You know? Because I guarantee you, God has your best interests at heart. Okay, I was going to wait till next week, but I'm going to give you this much of it now. 2 Corinthians 9.10 talks about seed and bread. God gives us both seed and bread. Seed is for the future. Farmers take seed and plant it so they'll have a crop next year. Another application of that principle is seed might be for investment. Okay, that's what a farmer's doing, is investing in his crop for next year. So God may direct you, since you're not a farmer, perhaps to do something else to invest your funds. Why? So you will have what you need in the future. Okay? It can also apply to giving. The seed can be given into the work of the kingdom and given to God as an offering, and you'll have eternal treasures. So your eternal future is richer than it would be if you hadn't sown that seed. But if here on this earth, in this life, God may direct you to take some of your money and invest it somewhere so that you will have more later. Okay? But part of what God gives us is bread. That is to meet our daily needs. What did Jesus tell us to pray? Give us this day our daily bread. Okay? Now, if you take bread and plant it, what happens to it? It gets wet and dirty. It doesn't do anything. It doesn't produce anything. What is bread for? It's to sustain you, to sustain your life. Beyond that, it's to, remember what we said about 1 Timothy 6.17, that God gives us richly all things to enjoy? God may give you something. He just wants you to enjoy it. very personal illustration. I have this robe at home. I would never have paid the full price for this thing. It was like 75 bucks or something. Like, nah. But I got it brand new for 15. Okay, that's a pretty good deal. I'll take it. I enjoy wearing that robe in certain times when it's cold. Okay? That's just a personal example. God gives you things to enjoy. Okay? So your bread is for your enjoyment and for your delight, to enjoy the goodness of your God. Okay? So God is not going to require that you give more of your resources to him He's not going to require you to give you so much that you won't have enough. Next week, we're going to talk about Malachi, where God says, bring all the tithe into my storehouse. 
that there may be food in my house and that see see if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour out such a blessing for you that there will be no more need. You can't give more than God will give you. You can't outgive God. His resources are limitless. And he says, test me now in this. The resources of heaven. The windows of heaven being opened. Talk about the true spiritual riches of God's presence. God's spirit moving among us. The revelation of his spirit. It's the thing we're here for. So, Relax. Just relax and receive what God has for you. So, I think I'm done with what I wanted to share this morning. Um, God may have made you aware of a need in your life this morning that you would like to have received prayer for, whether it's physical healing, an emotional need, um, a financial need, um, an encouraging word, whatever it might be. We're here to minister to you if you have a need, so please come on up if you'd like prayer this morning. I'd like to just close in prayer and ask God to... Father, we ask that you would enlighten our understanding. Open the eyes of our understanding. Help us to see your truth. God, we love you. We thank you that you are a great and generous father. We thank you that you are the owner, the possessor of everything on the earth. It's all yours and you reign over all of it. God, give us that revelation that all of our needs can be met in you and that you desire to prosper us so that we can be generous on every occasion. God, we thank you that you care about every detail of our lives. And I ask God that every need here would be met, that no one would leave without addressing the things that you brought to their minds. God, we love you. We ask you to work among us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.